Welcome back to the Key in the Lake podcast, the premier whiskey podcast, now at the mention of whiskey in its title. Hey, this is Jake coming live from Chicago, Illinois, and I'm joined by a special guest today, writer, author, a man who survived two years of doing an internet show with Marty Duffy, the one and only Mr. Lou Bryson. Morning. How are you? Doing great. Uh, we've been trying to do this podcast now for two years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, this has really been a weird, uh, weird visit for me. Just like doing all the stuff we were supposed to be doing. Right. Initially, we were going to record in our very first podcast studio, which was a brewery. Uh, yeah. The loft of a brewery. Uh, unfortunately, about a year ago, I was at said brewery, Beguile Brewing. Go support them if you're ever in Chicago or if you live in Chicago. And I was uh, just there to get some beers, and they're like, "Hey, we finally closed the lease upstairs." I'm like, "You mean my podcast studio?" <laughs> And they're like, ah, oh, ah, ah. I kind of forgot you guys recorded there because it's been about a year since we recorded there because of the pandemic or anything oh. like that. So, yeah, I hope my still kind of had that sense of ownership, though. Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> you know, you guys could have consulted with me first. <laughs> I did enjoy recording up there, but it was a great <laughs> space. But I hope my uh, dining room will suffice for yeah. for now. We, like I said, we usually record down in my basement, but uh, there's about a hundred different uh, whiskey kits down there full of from whiskeys all across the world for our World Whiskey Day extravaganza. It's a nice table. I yeah, like table. My wife actually built it. Really? Yeah. Her, wow. my, her, her and her dad built it together. So. That thing's like a rock. Yeah. It's uh, you know, go buy the lumber, do a little bonding experience, experience, and fifty dollars later, here you go. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'll just take it downstairs someday. Yeah. It's a very narrow staircase, though. So. That'll be fun. Yeah. And windy. I'll show, I'll, I'll show you afterwards. Uh, you'd rather not go down that staircase. Okay. Yeah. I brought Marty down there last time he came here, and he's like, I'm not going down there. I'm like, okay. Well, I'll bring the equipment up to you. We'll record in here. So here we are now. But uh, yeah. What uh, brings you to town of Chicago? Um, actually, my uh, daughter's here for a, uh, a brewer's conference, a beer conference. Excuse me. It's um, wow. It's one of the uh, one of the beer industry mm. uh, newsletters. I can't remember who it is, um, but uh, she's here for that. She works for a, a beer wholesaler in Philadelphia. Oh, and um, we just decided we'd take the trip together, and I would kind of try to pick up where the pandemic left me off. <laughs> So you never I, you never got to promote your book. So, no, yeah. no. I mean, the pandemic hit about what about just about exactly a month after uh, Whiskey Masterclass came out, and you know, even though I mean, you don't when you go out on a book tour, mm-hmm. the object is not to sell books. You know, you do sell books, and that's you know that's nice because you get to meet people and all that stuff. But what really the real reason you're out there is. The press coverage and the word of mouth and meeting the bookstore owners and meeting the the distillery owners and bar owners and all the staff and, and people like that and making personal connections with them. And then, they you know, they think about your book, they buy your book, they talk to other people about it. So it's not really, you know, and well, okay, so the worst part was... <laughs> I had wow, I had a I had this trip. I was gonna be in Chicago and Wisconsin and uh Indiana for like a full nine days. Oh wow. Yeah. And uh I had another trip planned to Louisville. I had another tra- trip planned to New England and I bought like four thousand dollars worth of books. Wow. And they sat in my garage for two years wow. and that freaking hurt. I bought two. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, Doing yeah. your part. Yeah, yeah. There I, you go. I try real hard. No, it, I can only imagine that experience and kind of the way you guys you stayed in the, you know, I guess in the the curiosity of people's minds was starting the sip of knowledge, right? That was a way of. Oh yeah, that was uh, actually that was Marty Duffy's idea. Uh, got uh, Liz Rhodes and I together, and wow, I think we started that in May. It was yeah, just about two years ago. Um, and every week, you know, for a while it was just us talking and then we get a guest on and we're like, yeah, this is what we need. Right. So, um, we, uh, we've been doing that actually now, uh, Liz and I have cut it back to every other week. Um, Marty left the show in January. I, I assume because he was you know, able to travel again. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so Liz and I have been doing, Liz has since, uh, taken on, um, head of whiskey development at Whistlepig, um, kind of doing the Dave Pickerel thing where she's still consulting, but that's like her main. Yeah. 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 So, um, so we cut back to every other week. Um, and then, and then we had to postpone this week's, so I was supposed to be doing one <laughs> yesterday, but, um, it was, they were my guests. It's, uh, um, Kelly and Joe from Adirondack Barrel Cooperage, oh. which I visited 
two years ago. It's January of 2020, I right. think it was. Um, really neat uh, small cooperage in the Adirondacks. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of high tech stuff, but at the same time, a lot of. I mean, you know, they they shape their uh, staves with laser guidance, but you know the 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 heating for the bending uh-huh. they don't do steam they actually burn the shavings like they do i mean that's yeah. that's really old school, old school shit yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah wow yeah so it's a neat combination and on top of that their barrels are freaking beautiful yeah i mean they're like furniture are they doing all different sizes too um yeah mostly 30s i think okay i i'm probably talking out my ass there but um <laughs> don't we all yeah talking. right <laughs> story, story of this industry you know. <laughs> It's all folklore. But yeah, a lot of it's uh, smaller stuff, but you know, and I'm thinking, oh boy, more small barrel whiskey. But you know, they took me up to the office afterwards and we talked, I tasted some of the whiskeys from New York State distillers that had been working with, I mean, I tasted a 15 month old whiskey that tasted pretty good and it was a 15 gallon barrel. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to be honest because I'm not a not a fan. I was wondering about that, you know, yeah. like, through your writings about like craft whiskey and the proliferation of the last twelve years of craft whiskey and American whiskey, and then also all over the world too, with all the inventions of whiskey. Where do you kind of see that like craft movement now, from where it began to where they're kind of coming of age? Is and there's like what two thousand distilleries yeah. here in the states? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well. I mean, for one thing, when I um, when I left Whiskey Advocate, uh, which was, I want to say, 2016, 2015, can't remember, mm-hmm. but around there, um, uh, some of the other writers and I got together uh, at McSorley's in New York, just, mm-hmm. you know, just like, uh, um, and uh, <laughs> I remember Dave Wondrich is just like, you know, all I really want is a craft rye whiskey that I want to drink. That's mm. all I ask, and I haven't haven't found one yet. And I had to agree. I was just like, you know, there's a couple, yeah, but most of. And I mean, I got to tell you, hell, within five years, and the the quality had gone up significantly, even in the new distillers. Yeah, because there was. Um, I mean, I I read a column for uh, Craft Spirit magazine for ACSA. Mm-hmm. Um, and my last column that just came out, the one that just came out, um, I just took a side-handed slap at white whiskey, mm. unaged whiskey. And <laughs> then as it, as it happens, I got a, a sample of a new make from a distillery, uh, Highwire mm, yeah. down, in, down in Charleston. And, uh, it was really good. <laughs> I, I was like, I almost kind of want to get a bottle of this right, shit. It's right, right. really that good. And I'm like, you know, I had to look at this again, and I talked to um, uh, Jared from Bluebird Distilling, which is back where I am mm. in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, outside of Philly, or where I was. I've moved. Uh, I'm in central Pennsylvania now. But uh, And um, Mike Myers at uh, 291 mm. in Colorado. And, you know, they, they're they both, they, you know, they didn't stop selling their own age. They really? still, still sell it. It's still, you know, and as Jared says, we sell it because it sells. Right. You know? Yeah, no, it's interesting. Last night, I was actually trying our new make at this barley show at Delilah's. Kind of start off like we actually had grains. And mm-hmm. yeah, so then we had new make. And then, oh, here's our whiskey as well to go into that. And people were like, do you sell this? I'm like, well, you can if you want to. But um, <laughs> it's good. I mean, it, I know. It kind of like, surprised you when they asked. Yeah. That, right? But then you're like, oh, there is that customer. Then I go back to when I used to sell white whiskey, like at Koval. Yeah. And your gift shop people be like oh wow i can do like vodka drinks with this i'm like yeah you can and you f- kind of forget about we're the one percent of people that are really yeah. loving whiskey and yeah. like a one percent of the one percent chasing after like you said a really great craft rye whiskey right not everybody else is no no um actually did a uh i did my third vodka piece recently um in yeah in my life i saw in, i saw in, yeah <laughs> in my life um and one of the things uh I remember when I did my second vodka piece, uh, talking to a uh, retailer in Massachusetts, and the two of us just geeking out over over neat vodka, like sipping and what yeah. do you like, what is oh this is you know and it's got that mouthfeel and we kind of run down and we're laughing and then the guy just says, okay, so that's about a quarter or one percent of the market, right, right, yeah, right, yeah, pretty much. Everybody's like, hey, just give me some soda and a yeah. lemon, <laughs> right, right. I want to get my drink on. Right. Where, where, where do we go from there? But yeah, yeah we forget about those consumers when we're yeah. constantly. And I mean, that's where we are. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when you're talking about 
1% of the drinkers, you're talking about our market. And then, you know, if white whiskey, so what if white whiskey is 2% of that 1%? That's what we were. Right. And, and I, I mean, to get back to where I started, because I kind of mm-hmm. took a long way around there, but um, the new make is just better now. It is. Yeah. yeah. And people know what they're doing. That's, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some of that is, um, some of that is brewers coming to it because the fermentation is just better. Yep. Yep. Um, and some of it is, uh, better equipment. Um, mm-hmm. some of it is more money. Yep. And so it's just, you know, people getting experience and yeah. spreading it out just like it, just exactly like it happened in craft brewing. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. Yeah. hundred percent. And like yeah. there's more education out there for new, new distillers to go and actually be taught well mm-hmm. about how to actually use their machines that they're buying and spending mm-hmm. millions of dollars on. <laughs> And putting it into a warehouse in anywhere America. Yeah. So I look at like the Blum Bros and, you know, they sourced their whiskey initially, but they made sure that their new make and their whiskey would taste good after four years of barrel aging. And is it can compete with those MG, uh, MGP 12-year-old casts that they got these honey barrels of? Not, not right now, but like right. I just have a sample of their five-year-old and it's great. Like, yeah. And like that's that rye whiskey you're chasing after or that bourbon from a craft distiller. All I wanted. Yeah. And, you know, we, we should have known that it was it was on its way, but... Wow, it's hard to believe when you're tasting some of that early stuff. Yeah, I can go back to a couple of years, or you know, 2016. I was working at Koval at the time, and I always kind of appreciated with the process what they did. And the, I just started tasting too much of that product and being myopic in the sense of like I'm tasting one thing, and then mm-hmm. you go out there and try other distilleries, and you're like, oh wow, there's other other craft distilleries that are doing a better job than us, or you know, on par, whatever you want to call it. But they're also doing more experimentation with longer, yeah. bar- longer barrel aging and using different size casts. And at that time, we were about transitioning from thirty gallon to fifty three gallon casts mm-hmm. too. So, but you, and we could already see after six months the difference of those of those barrels and where we're actually having them in one facility too, versus kind of scattered about oh, yeah. warehouse yeah. to warehouse. And that's kind of something that Marty and I always talk about is how does the Chicago or a city affect the air quality when barrel aging whiskey? Cause it has to come into play somehow. Sure. It's seeping, in, it's seeping in there somehow, but I think they started moving. Well, they did start moving everything to Michigan to be barrel aged in a warehouse but, and, the, and the airflow too. Right. It's just different in right. the city. Hundred percent. Yeah, we were at barrel aging in like basements, like cutout basements. We were barrel aging next to the still, so like they were getting super, <laughs> hot, you know, like one hundred and ten degrees. And yeah, uh, my current distillery uh, at Star Wars, we do the kind of the same thing where are about 6,000 of our casts or so are in our distillery, um, but are they're further away, I would say, but pretty close to them. And we have another 7,000 casts or so barrel aging in another offsite facility mm-hmm. about a mile away. But you can consistent, consistency through it because it's in the same part of the city. Okay. You're, you're still getting 110 temperatures. Wherever. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be the important thing, having right. all the barrels in the same kind or else, I mean, if they are in different purposefully yeah yeah right which yeah is, like it's good for trace r- r- yeah. exactly yeah like you want to yeah. you want to blend together like 25 barrels to like find consistency through that process like that's so is anybody what i want to know is anybody small doing heated storage i don't know I, people I, mean, I, I know mictors is but they ain't small no no, no. So people ask that all the time, like do you, do you know, do you get temperature temperature control? And I'm like, no, that's so expensive. Like, yeah, I don't know how you could afford to do that. Yeah, I mean, I guess like at Cobol, I would say, well, we have a heater and an AC in here, <laughs> and it's on when someone's in here. If it's really cold or really hot, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, other than that, like rather have the doors open and kind of let the yeah, natural let air the, flow let go. it flow through. Yeah, have the but otherwise blow dust in through the through the doors. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I remember. Uh, well, a lot of things, and I I refer back to craft brewing a lot because that's what's where I started, and I right. still write about beer uh, quite a bit. Um, so many things that uh, early craft brewers told everyone and themselves that they were doing because it was better, and this was a small thing, and this was this, and that. they couldn't afford it, or it mm-hmm. didn't make sense at their scale, and now they all do it. Yeah, like cans, for instance. Oh my God, you. you I mean, it's hard, almost hard to find bottles anymore. Right. Uh, what the hell's the other thing? Uh, batching. They didn't use to blend batches because that's something that the big mm. guys did just to make everything taste the same. And now they want to make things taste the same. It's just, well, um, in craft distilling, column stills. Right. Shit, you know. It, a column still does not make sense when you're not making enough booze. I 100% just, agree. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even know that when I first started selling whiskey or got into the whiskey industry from the beer side as well. You're like, okay, so we're making a lot, but we're not running it 
like the big guys are. And you start <laughs> and you start going tours and you notice things differently with the big guys. Yeah. Like you, when you're just a drinker or whatever, you kind of see it and don't really take you don't you don't want to actually digest all the words they're telling you. But yeah. then when you actually know how things are operated and you're like, okay, <laughs> wait, so why are we? Why Excuse are, me. Why do, <laughs> why do we kind of have the same setup but smaller? But if we're not, we're doing. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of gallons less in a single year. I mean, you're oper- they're operating in a day what we would do in six months to a year. That's what we, you know, when you see these guys that are spending the money at Vendome mm. to get an 18-inch column still, yeah. you can't tell me that's just for production. Mm-hmm. That's not just for volume. They're doing that because they want the kind of whiskey that comes off a of column still. I'd assume so. Or they just got to be. Or they just don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, they might just be crazy. <laughs> someone, told them, told, someone told them, hey, just buy a column still. <laughs> Go to Vendome. Like, it's true. That yeah. We're still in those days. But you see so many hybrid pot stills now. Yes. Which is great. I'm like, yeah. I was just over uh, at Starlight Distillery, and they have like a, like a hybrid column still. And I think this column is mostly for vodka anyway. I mean, I got to tell you, any, after tasting their stuff, I'm like, anything they're doing, fine. Go ahead. Oh, there. Do that. Uh, <laughs> I just bought a sherry cask if you want to try that. Nice. Yeah, yeah. A little sample of that one. Um, they have some amazing, amazing whiskeys. And the fact that they have, I think, eight thousand acres of land or something oh, like God. something crazy like yeah, that yeah. for their farm and they've been there since the 1860s or yeah. something yeah they have this natural resource to and they've been making wine for 40 50 years yeah. now so hey we have barrels we can finish in <laughs> it's not just like an excuse to put whiskey inside of a barrel right. which i appreciate because oh sure because now it's become a trend to do finishes and but i always ask the question to a distillery if they have a, if they have a finished whiskey what's the purpose why are you doing it? Yeah. Is it something you just... Yeah, is it just to have a different whiskey? Right. Yeah. Another skew out on the shelf? Or are you trying to bring in, um, like, uh, Westford, for example? When they use their stout cast, they're using local beers. Like, they want to bring in a whole Oregon experience. Right. And that's just another way to tip it off right there. But a lot of distilleries, I think they just see, okay, well, they have finished whiskey, so we should put a finished bourbon out. But not really thinking the context of, like, oh, we have a sweet whiskey with a bourbon and then putting it into a wine cask? Well, how long do we do it? <laughs> See, that's the yeah, that's that's really important—the length of the finish, right? Exactly, yeah. and I guess it's a it's a growing another growing pain for smaller distilleries to decide where they are and what their foothold is in the industry. As we were talking five six years ago, couldn't find great rye whiskey, but now these yeah. distilleries grew up really fast. I think I, I think they'll learn from this. I hope they learn from this, and we just don't follow trends. We kind of keep repeatedly going through it every four or five years. Where next trend? Okay, ABC to see. I gotta distillery. make this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you, I mean? What do you think could be next trend for these distilleries? Like, oh God, I don't know. Um, I mean, new grains, uh, heritage and land race strains. Yeah. I think that's we're gonna see a lot of that. Um, starting to see people doing stuff with yeast. Yeah. Um, but the thing is. And I, and I got to say this from, again, from brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get that across to people? Because hops, a different hop in a beer is really easy to get across to people because right. they have a name. Yeah. But, you know, when you say, oh, we're using Rosen Rhyme, and they're like, is that the farm? Mm-hmm. Is that, what is mm-hmm. that? Um, that's harder. Uh, I think the corn is harder, too. I mean, Bloody Butcher, I mean, that name just grips people. Right, And, right. It, and it cuts right out. And, I mean... Okay, I'm I'm pulling back here because I realize that you know a lot of this gets obscured by the barrel. Mm. You know, you, we we get those those new charred oak barrels, and it just it pounds a lot in there. So you got to be, um, I think you have to be careful about managing expectations. Right. Um, that's my uh, that's my new thing as I uh, as I move into my 60s. I'm like, you know, it's really about managing my expectations, right. um, and it. You know, it, it goes with this as well. If you if you really tell people that this grain is going to make a big difference, you got to temper that expectation with mm. how is it going to work with the new chart of white oak yep. barrel. Yeah, and where those barrels are at, like you got to take. Well, that's another thing, and I think that's something we're going to be seeing more of too. The I mean, these Adirondack guys, mm. um, the new stave mills on the east side of the Appalachians. I mean, that's the real reason we weren't getting oak being used other than, like, Missouri and, and the Ozarks is because the stave mills were out there, and it just didn't make sense to cut trees in western Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and bring them all the way to the stave mills. Hmm. Now there's stave mills over there. We're going to start seeing some different wood, and I think we're going to start tasting it in the whiskey. Yeah, definitely. And it goes back to the size also as a factor, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have... Uh, 
the Henry's over at J. Henry in Wisconsin where they're using yep. these heirloom grains. And then, but everything is at their farm. And that the climate up there is weird. Like, no one knows, like, the Wisconsin climate, like, how <laughs> strange it can be um, and just completely changing on a daily yeah. basis, especially during the summertime where it can be, you know, 100 degrees one day, it can drop down until like the mid 70s and then even get cooler at nights. So it's always kind of uh, rotating and changing and fluctuating in that yeah. sense. So the barrels being all on their farm, pretty much, I think, in two facilities maybe one facility i can't remember if we have two or two or three um but it's going to be coming off in that same place and it's literally all built right there on that farm it's the culture kind of coming into the into the bottle at the end of the day after five years of barrel aging yeah. and they're using 53 gallon casts now I think, uh, yeah they, weren't they always using 53 yeah, they, they always were I think yeah, they yeah, started yeah, with yeah, 53s. They were, yeah, yeah you're right i was thinking the blums actually oh okay. yeah yeah right. yeah they because they just transition or transitioning yeah um yeah, no, it's it's. it's but a- yeah, you know, and there's another thing. I mean, I grew up um, not too far from the original old Mictors. Um, I mean, I remember going there. I think the first time I went there was in '83. You know, when they were yeah. still open and running, and so I've always had in my head that bourbon doesn't have to be made in Kentucky. Even though, I mean, I remember back in the in the '90s when I was first coming to it, everything you heard about bourbon was essentially. Well, it's got to be made here because this is where mm-hmm. it's made, because it has all these things that are here are the best. Yeah, I'm like, no, right, right, because <laughs> you know, we did that up there. It was really freaking good. It's a large country too. Yeah, with come a, on, with a lot of farmland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, we have there's there's good limestone water other places, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of you guys are using city water anyway. Yeah, right. So what the hell? Oh, trust me, I know that very well. My <laughs> grandfather was an engineer at Jim Beam, so. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. The first time I brought him Chicago whiskey, he's like, this isn't bourbon. I'm like, okay. 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 <laughs> Fair enough. Do you, do you want to try it? Sure. Why not? <laughs> so I know how that goes. Even just last week I was doing a, a tasting in Nashville and <laughs> tasting Australian whiskey in Nashville. It's, you know, hit or miss sometimes. <laughs> and this lady tells me, well, this isn't bourbon. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's not. Bingo. Good on you. She's like, well, this isn't whiskey either. I'm like, well, that's yeah. <laughs> where, where we're gonna have a problem and i was with one of the store managers doing she was doing a wine tasting i was doing a whiskey tasting and i like there's a lo- local person that comes there every friday for the tastings and i'm like mm. i'm like is she fucking with me like <laughs> she kept saying this stuff and i'm like i know it's not tennessee whiskey you're right mm-hmm. on that. i know it's not bourbon you're right on that and she's like well uh, bourbon uh, she says i think she thought like she basically reversed bourbon and whiskey for what they are oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Like, bourbon's the overall term and yeah. whiskey's a branch on that yeah. tree and i'm like well i'm not gonna try to be a jerk but i'm gonna be a jerk now um and tell you what the actual That's whiskey it's bourbon Right, right. Something like that. Yeah. I'm like, well, it's not. I'm like, well, you have a process here in Tennessee that makes a Tennessee whiskey. And in 1963, we enacted bourbon to be uh, an American spirit, a native spirit here in the States. And here's the laws that follow. And she's like, oh, I'm going to buy one of your single barrels just because I kind of feel bad. And I'm like, well, there we go. We Whatever accom- works. We accomplished something. <laughs> I'm like, hey, we can all we can educate you and sell some whiskey at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. It's like, it's a huge country. And the thing, yeah. It's a potential of like regionalities coming here, like where we could have defined regions of of whiskey, just like there are in Scotland. Yep. I mean, it's the East Coast. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 looking really close to some of the high altitude aging mm. out in the Rockies. Very interested. Very. In that. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. guys, like uh, Tony One, like great stuff coming out of there. Yeah. Obviously, the Leopold brothers um, are doing great stuff. Looking at um, laws, laws, yeah. and uh, Wyoming. Oh yeah, I've yeah. Of, I haven't had their stuff in a while. Yeah, so you've got altitude and you've got a, a, like a searingly dry mm-hmm. climate as well. Yeah, so it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, the loss is going to be big, but as we both know, you know, you can't make whiskey without losing whiskey. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm really curious to see how that turns out. Oh, That's and Stranahan's. I forgot to mention Stranahan's. Um, yeah, a lot of these uh, a lot of these guys have, and then of course you know the whole Texas thing. Um, I mean, Texas is Texas distillers are kind of aggressively uh, going after a Texas. Uh, yeah, go figure. <laughs> uh, a Texas identity there, yeah. um, and uh, you know, West Coast. Those guys are those guys are going at it. Yeah, um, yeah. I definitely think there's a uh, a whole regionality thing, but you know. <laughs> is it a real regionality or mm. is it, you know, the marketing regionality that we saw in Scotland? Right, exactly. Yeah. Which is 
basically crushed any other single malt distillery across the country trying to explain this is not Isla Scotch. Yes. Like, oh, was well, it peaty and smoky? And like, no, there's actually a very, <laughs> there's very few distilleries that actually make that style of whiskey. If you travel over to the Speysides, you'd find some delicious chocolatey flavors <laughs> in your whiskey. And lots and lots of them. Right. That's exactly. the... Yeah. I'm like, well, that's actually the most uh, populated region of distilleries in Scotland. They're like, there's more? <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm like, yeah, we use we use malted barley, which is a, and you know, and I don't blame the distillers for that. No, no, you know, that's that's the the people and the and the people who are selling it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's because what in the '90s? I mean, they were shutting places down on Isla because nobody wanted that. Right. And now, now we do. We just like we're nuts about it. Well, yeah. rye, same thing. Mm. Irish, same thing. Yeah. Good God. I mean, when I found out how close Irish whiskey came to... <laughs> yeah. I was like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the hell? Like, and then I just see this morning, uh, Jameson hit 4 million cases in the U.S. last year. Like, holy crap. I'm sure proper 12 isn't far behind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going there. Yeah, I, won't not go. going I, there. I won't go there either. I'll leave, I'll leave it there. Mm. Um, yeah, celebrity whiskeys. Yeah. The best. <laughs> you know, it is strange how, like, why is it the celebrity tequilas seem to be better than celebrity whiskeys? It's a good point. They add because they are. I think. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Even the mezcals are even better. But is that because it's there's more defined? I, I or? guess they're just not using the tails of bushmills to make their. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I went there. I, oh yeah, I, we're I, eating meat today, baby. I started I started going there. <laughs> hey, I love me some black bush. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't, and, you know, it's one of those things I never really thought about until just that moment. Um, they, they sell a lot better. Well, I guess you can't say proper 12 doesn't sell. But, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of those. They sell to better people. There you go. There yeah. you go. <laughs> I've seen a few of those celebrity. One of the Kardashians who has a tequila, I think, or mezcal mm-hmm. at um, uh, some big events in New York and Miami. They always kind of pop up and bartend for you know, 15 minutes and yeah, exactly. 200 people following. I'm like, you'll see a crowd kind of down in the distance. Like, Oh, must be some celebrity here endorsing something at the great food and wine fest. Oh boy. Oh yeah. boy. I don't know. It's, it's, there seems to be more people getting into it each day too. More celebrities. And I, even like one of my favorite comedians has a whiskey. Did you see Aaron Goldfarb's piece? No, I didn't see it. <laughs> he has his own wine now. Oh, he does. Yeah. I think he got like, what was it? It was like a minimum. I think it was like 200 bottles. Okay. Yeah, he did the whole thing for $500. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, blue check. Okay. Blue check wine from the, the newer, Twitter thing. A newer article of his? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it just came out last week, I think. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Vine Pear, but I'm not sure. Um, but like, like most creative people, we're terrible about endorsing ourselves and advertising. Oh, yeah. No. I know. I'm like... I haven't seen him post anything about that. <laughs> then, then again, the algorithm of everything, who knows who yeah. you come in contact with these days. It is amazing, though, how you can just kind of do it very quickly. Yeah. Very subtly. Yeah. Like, this one comedian, he has a blend of Japanese and bourbons. And to I haven't tried it yet. I think it's only sold online in California. And I'm like, but you hear him talk about whiskey, and he doesn't even know what bourbon is. And he's like, yeah, I'm a big whiskey drinker. Then you start talking about bourbon, and they're like, you, you can't even define. Yeah, you can't even yeah. tell me like two of the. Well, three. see, this is what this is what just makes me flinch and laugh at the same time when whiskey makers really, really worry about what what's going to be able to be put on their label. I'm like, dude, no one's looking anyway. No, no. they're looking at your name and yeah. they're looking at the pretty colors, literally. Yeah, and that's it. No, they don't. They don't care that it's a whiskey distilled from a bourbon mash. <laughs> they right up right past their eyes. They don't know. <laughs> yep. They don't even know what the hell straight whiskey means. No. They think it means not diluted. Probably. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I think they're... Uh, I'm at, I'm, so later today, I'm, I'm interviewing Brian Nation, mm-hmm. uh, the former master distiller at, at Middleton, now at O'Shaughnessy. Um, and one of the things I want to ask him is uh, the new technical file on Irish whiskey, is that a straitjacket? Mm-hmm. And and if it is, why the hell did you do that to yourself? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that American distillers are, to a certain extent, putting themselves in a straitjacket that they don't have to by uh, doing things that allow them to put a more closely defined category on mm-hmm. their label when they could just, like, do whatever the hell they want and just call it, air quotes, whiskey. Right. 
which I mean is a huge catch-all that the regulations allow. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can mess around anything you want. If you don't actually want to put bourbon on the label, all of a sudden you know, the world is your playground. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I think we. I think I still think we worry too much about that. I mean, I, I suppose you could make the point that it it also you know would open up the field for people to do like kind of half-ass things but they're gonna do that anyway yeah and those and those those distilleries that do that they'll falter they're yeah good, you know, they'll, yeah basically you know people will rise to the top that are the good ones and i don't know if a lot of distillery i feel like a lot of distilleries now are being built to be bought out but it does feel that way yeah just kind of yeah. like okay what's the it's almost like a business venture yeah um being like a i don't know serial something investor yeah. or something like that yeah let's it. make the brand big and then sell it right and move on which i don't it's a very large you know, risk to take. It's a bet. I was, talk- a I bet. was talking to somebody at the distillers. They were at a distillers conference and somebody was taking their savings, them and their wife, they had like a million dollars to invest into a distillery. And it's like, it might take two to 3 million to start that. Yeah. And that's a huge risk to do what you're doing in your retirement. And yeah. Take- and you're looking at at least five years right. before you even make a profit, let alone sell. Nobody's going to be buying a, a, a distillery after two years. No, no, not at all. Yeah. I, I hope people, I think it kind of gets back into like a transparency of what distilleries are doing, but also getting into it for, I don't know, I guess right the right reasons, or some people want to fall back on the the basics of whiskey or the history of whiskey and kind of be authentic about it. But at the same time, do what you can to survive. As long as you're making good product, yes. it's only making a good product and actually making real whiskey and following the, the laws you have to follow to make whiskey and, you know, using grains. I mean, but, I still talk to distillers sometimes and I'm just like, do you, do you realize what you're doing here? Mm. This is the, you're actually doing something different than what you think you are. Is that okay? Mm. And they're like, really? Really? Is that what that... Like, okay, all right, whatever. Like in the distilling process or... Usually it's more in blending. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, like are they just kind of taking shots in the dark and see what sticks? Yeah, some of that. And some of it is like um, people are blending like rye and bourbon and not realizing that that's not usually a thing you do and they're just putting the cast together and it tastes good and then they call it bourbon hmm. like you, you, okay I'm not be turning you in American whiskey I know yeah <laughs> which is fine right which I just wow I mean again the Brian Nation thing that stuff he's selling now the Keeper's Heart mm-hmm. blend of two Irish and, and an American rye good yeah yeah you know I guess they'd struggle, people probably struggle with they think everything has to be bourbon. They think everything has to be rye. Yes. Getting back to like kind of the standards of what built this country, what whiskey was built on in this country. But at the same time, there's room to play. Absolutely. And I mean, there's a huge shelf out there, shelf space out there. We're all competing, obviously, at the same time. But make yourself unique. And as you said, have a good label on there. Have a good bottle shape. Yep. Don't have something that's like crazy where they're going to have to turn the bottle around on the side or anything like that. Yeah. Just use a good rounded shape bottle, but make sure you have... I. I shouldn't say, unfortunately, marketing plays a huge role since I kind of am in marketing and whiskey. But uh, it does. It does. It absolutely you know, does. It's an invention that we've created yeah. uh, over the last sixty years, and it's proliferated the or it's brought on um, whiskey back to this country. You know, in the nineties, yep. it was faltering, as you know, way better than I do when I was only six, seven years old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> having rub a, it in, having a juice <laughs> box, but. Uh, <laughs> Or two, um, but yeah, no, it's it's. But knowing that with my grandpa telling me those stories of like, you know, you're making whiskey every day, but we're barely surviving at the same time. Yeah, and you know, Booker's out there trying all this experimental stuff <clears throat> at Claremont and thinking this might work, but only like giving it away to friends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're, uh, and people are like, and you know, and not every idea does. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but some of them do, and some of them blow up. And that's kind of what we did. But then yeah. it became like, well, how do we separate ourselves from what was the past of whiskey? Of people thinking of gut rock, people thinking of mm, that's too much power yeah. for me, and then getting beyond those, uh, uh, like I guess I don't know, stigmas, if you will, and going to make something great, which all these distilleries did, and now there's thousands of distilleries doing that, following those footsteps. I, I, I remember um, when Dave uh, at Woodford, when Dave Shurik was. Uh, distillery manager um we were sitting down and, and drinking and i told him about when i was young yeah you know just barely legal tasting whiskeys that tasted musty mm. he's like yeah we don't do that anymore because we found out what did he says actually you know he said pretty much the guys who make bad whiskey 
aren't around anymore. So yeah. we're the we're the only ones left, and we make pretty good stuff. Yeah, and that you know that definitely had a had a had a part in it. I yeah. think I did a master class with the Russells like two or three years ago, and they're like, "Yeah, we didn't make good whiskey in the seventies." <laughs> they kind of like admit that. You're like, oh wow! Like so, like yeah, yeah you're like we changed it. We have a new way of of making whiskey, of barrel aging whiskey, of sensing sent doing sensory tests all the time, and making sure that we're making a quality product. Yeah, I think that. Um, you know, people get caught up in that, um, the, uh, oh, good God, the um, the pappy thing about the sign, the no chemists allowed. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, we don't, we, we just want to, you know, light the fire under the still and, and get, all that has its place. Yeah. I mean, uh, wood technology, good God. Um, you know, the way we do barrels is completely different from even 20 years ago. Right, and it's so important. You're bringing in yeah. at least half of your taste right. from those barrels. Yeah. Right, everybody like, keeps saying that, yeah. and yet they're like, oh, yeah, go ahead, use it again. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, it's like um, I'm not a really big fan of F1 racing, but the science that goes into that to, oh, be, yeah. to be the top car, and it's like literally it's all about the car. You can have the best driver in the world, but if you don't have the best technology, yeah. you're not going to be the best driver. And and the thing about is it. It trickles down. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, your Mazda is better because of racing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can go buy a Kia. That's a really nice, good-looking car. Yeah. They actually run well. Yeah. It's helped out that way. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, and, it, and it's worked that way with uh, with whiskey as well. And when one, mm. uh, one distillery or one uh, category discovers something, I mean, Irish, put, Irish, Irish whiskey, uh, Irish distillers, Put a hell of a lot of money into wood research, yeah, and it's benefited the entire category. Absolutely, yeah. No, and I think you're talking about like how distilleries are pinholing themselves here in America. Do you think American single malts kind of fall into that category with the rules they were trying to get? Past? I was just talking about that last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think it's I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? Right. Especially when the Scotch distillers are standing over there going, "I don't know. We may have painted ourselves into a corner here." Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like the culture of America based on climate is so different everywhere you go. Uh, I mean, you can go, you can be in Northern California and Central Coast California distilling and have way different climates affecting your whiskey at the end of the day. Yeah. Or even I mean, just, within, a, within a space of, of 60 miles. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, depending where you go, like even just here from here to Indiana, Southern Indiana, like way different. It's like Starlight down there. They're four hours from Chicago. You know, imagine a, um, a warehouse in. I don't know, uh, Juliet, and then one, just for example, right on the shore here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hell, I experienced that yesterday when I drove into town. Fresh air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fresh air and about 15 degrees cooler. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's the weird thing about it. You can. We were just driving back from Indiana this weekend. You get to Gary, it was 68. Pulled in the city, it's 58. That's, yep. That's 30 miles apart. Yeah. 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 It just makes a huge difference. And on the lake, but different sides of the lake. Yes. So, yeah, it's a whole. Yeah, it's all where the airflow is. Why do you think these distilleries want definitions, more definitions? Um, I think some of it is um, some of it is marketing, Mm -hmm. I think, because then you can say that you are this. uh, You have that defined category and you're in it and you're not, which I I think was the reason for the Irish technical file going with the 5% other grains on single pot still definition. You know, we are, that's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, they hate it when I say this, and, and I mean that literally, but they want to be like scotch. Mm-hmm. And they want people to think they're like scotch without them saying that word. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this stuff makes them hue closer to how scotch whiskey's made. Right, and this is what you're kind of writing about in Whiskey Masterclass, too, when you're defining the rules yeah. of all that stuff. Yeah. How do you take all that information and basically drifted down into one book like when all these things are all changing. well you know having a word count from your uh publisher helps yeah. a hell of a yeah. lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you gotta do this um yeah that wasn't um that wasn't easy i mean some of it as i as i expounded on in the book for a good page and a half was because i decided not to get into the weeds on chemistry mm-hmm. um and i think conor o'driscoll told me that and i it was really helpful in, in, in framing the book. He's just like, you know, that's great for a guy like me, but you know, someone else comes across that chemical term and they're just going to stop. And like, 
Yeah. And what, when he says, you don't want people stopping when they're reading your book. Yeah. You want them to just keep reading. So you say there are compounds rather than, you know, there's um, this compound and there's four vinyl glycol and right. there's furfur and don't just they want to find that they can find it and you've only got 45,000 words so mm. get the hell to work definitely and we have a very pragmatic approach in your writing style anyway <laughs> so <laughs> thank you yeah no problem and I, know I love your writing because it's it's straightforward it's something that I'm, I'm trying to explain things exactly yeah, yeah. Like I, my mom, who doesn't know a thing about whiskey, could pick up that book and learn something about Japanese or Irish or cool. whatever it may be, I think, and understand, like, oh, there are technical difficult differences um, in how people make whiskey across the world. Because yeah. I think a lot of people just think it's the same thing. And Whiskey. Yeah, whiskey. Yeah. Then you put a Japanese in front of them and a quality bourbon in front of them and a rye in front, and then go to a rye, which is also American. Right. Or it could be other parts of the world, too. And like, oh. Wow, these are really yeah. That's different. actually interesting. What what the rest of the world is doing with rye? Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, there's like some crazy rye being distilled down in Australia, actually. Oh, really? And Tasmania. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, I just heard somebody talking about uh, growing agave in Australia. Huh. And huh. and then you know, of course, then what do you call that? Right. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you stumped me there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I guess it kind of makes. Well, sense. Well, I'm not sure they're actually doing it or if they're just yeah thinking about it. But and there's I mean, a lot of desert to grow. Why it. the hell not? Right? 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 Yeah. Right. There's got to be some land on the fringe of that that would be for sure good for it. And it's I don't know. Is it? I don't know where the latitude figures, but it can't be too far off. I don't. I don't know. Just down there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Down there somewhere. <laughs> but it is like people like oh, I tropicalish. Right. Tropicalish. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go outside the city and just kind of keep driving west from Melbourne and see what happens. You'll find a place to grow agave. I sure. guarantee it. But it is. There's like so much confusion out there. People like don't even. Well, there's not even confusion. There's just lack of knowledge. Like there's distilleries in Australia. It's like yeah. There's distilleries probably in every country basically. Yeah. And it's just an educational process from there where you go and say like yeah well. This isn't a bourbon. You are correct, right. ma- ma'am, in Nashville. Yeah. Um, but you know, here's the difference between them. That's why I really appreciated that event last night where we could talk to people with like the grain in our hand. That's new, pretty cool. I love the, that idea. And the new make. Yeah. And then it's like, well, here's our core single malt that we build everything in our distilleries based on making this whiskey. And right. We, and then, but we can tear it off into different branches and make all these LTOs as well at the same time and show how single malt whiskey can be same exact mash bill. 100% malted barley from the same grain, but put in different red wine casts, whatever the process might be, and go from there and show the, and educate the actual drinker on that. Yeah, this is what I, uh, why I always like talking to these guys who are obsessing about the mash bill on bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Scotch manages to get a lot of different flavors out of one mash bill. Yeah, everyone thinks, like, oh, if I add 15% of this and 7% of that, <laughs> it's going to be so different. <laughs> Don't need to do that. There's still a lot of corn in there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's the overpowering flavor, obviously. I mean, obviously, to add malted barley to acting as an enzyme, different process there. Sure. But, yeah, like, do you need to do, like, a high rye? Do you need to do a low rye? Whatever you want to call it. It's like, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to taste a little bit yeah, different. Yeah, it's going to taste different. But so much of the control comes in, or quality control comes in. Other too. places. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, how are you fermenting? How are you distilling? Right. Are you using a column still when you're only producing... X amount of gallons in a year. What kind of warehouse do you have? Right. Yeah. Which, which is huge. It gets back to that that conversation on barrel aging in the city. What yeah. Does, what does it do to your whiskey? Yeah. And I don't think, who knows how long it'll take to know the, the actual effects of the weather in a city if there's like climate control problems that come in to you know, make your whiskey taste a little bit more funky or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and when you, you know, you're not even talking pollution, you're talking about temperature. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or wind or. You know, or hell, vibration from the traffic. I mean, I remember, I remember a Scots distiller saying that the stuff that was aging in the cities, he thought there was an effect from, huh. from like lorries going by and and shaking the building. Um, I don't know, I don't know. Is it uh, Copper and Kings down in Louisville? They are a brandy distillery, and they barrel edge everything underground to Metallica music. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Or any other and again. Metal. Maybe, I don't know. maybe. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you guys, it, you appreciate people trying. Yeah, yeah. But it kind of goes um, back to that whole marketing conversation because you can say those cool things and someone's like, "Oh wow, well I'm I'm a I'm a metalhead." Yep. So I, I should, like that whiskey. 
It's Brandy. <laughs> oh, right, right. We're talking about no, that. But, no, yeah, but yeah, no, yeah. it's funny because you people like, would say those terms. They, yes, they would. They don't know the difference. Yeah. Getting back to that 1% conversation. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's always different. But I think I think what whiskey has done, um, I like to compare whiskey and art a lot together. Like Marcel Duchamp, who was a de- part of the Dada Revolution um, in the 1900s, like rev- uh, basically unveiled society to what where art is always and showing that anything can be made of art was like a ready-made project was kind of his stance on, you know, art's always in front of you. It's just a matter of how you recognizing it. And mm-hmm. that's what whiskey is where you have those grains that are always here and then realizing what you can do with it. And now over the last 20, 25 years, it's become an entire huge industry, not just here in the States, but across the entire world. Yeah. And we're, yeah. We're not, they're not just making the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing all mm-hmm. the time. And it's like almost a ready-made project of each individual country because everything does taste different. If you have a single malt from Scotland and a single malt from Japan, it's going to taste different. Well, yeah. maybe we shouldn't go there, those two, but uh, yeah, I mean, a single malt from Taiwan maybe <laughs> might taste a little bit well, different. You know, and this, you know, we were talking about mash bills. I again going back to brewing. I always think that one of the most important ingredients is is will and intent. Yeah. You know what did what did you mean to do here? Why did you do it? Mm-hmm. Know? And if you if you meant to make something that tasted exactly like or completely different from, mm-hmm. why and did did it, did it work out? Right. It's like these even kind of being back to the conversation of pinholing <clears throat> the silliest pinholing himself. Like you say, okay, we use all local grains. Well, like why? Are they the best grains? Right. Can you get better grains somewhere else? Yeah. Like even if you're in if you're in Chicago and you're like we want to use all Illinois grains. Like well, can you get something better from Iowa? Can you get something better from Minnesota? Indiana is really close. Very close. Yeah, yeah. and so they have a distillery down there that has a great amount of grains and making some really good yes. whiskey. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's what you know. And, and then we, I, I remember somebody at Heaven Hill telling me that, that uh, all, almost all their corn came from within a hundred miles, and I'm, I'm looking at a map and thinking. That's a hell of a lot of territory. That is. Yeah, you, know? you start like looking in every direction. You're like, yeah, ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, there's also a lot of corn in the state too. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, you got plenty of plenty to work with. Makes there. sense. I mean, like for uh, for me, it's like yeah, I, I say like all our just all our farmers within a day's drive away of our distillery in Australia. It's like well, yeah, because there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> you're you're and, <laughs> <laughs> a bit uh, uh, ocean locked, if you will. <laughs> Also, shipping grains from across the world to yeah, just still a little more expensive. We don't say like you know this is only Melbourne far- Melbourne based farms or something like that. Well, no, I will say that uh, some of the rye distillers have talked to me and they're like, "Why are people shipping rye in from Europe? Mm-hmm. That just yeah. doesn't doesn't make sense." Unless is that the rye you want? Mm. You know, because I mean, I know there's there's still a lot of American brewers get their get their malt from Europe. Yeah, and we make malt here. Mm-hmm. But not the same. I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. But you make a you make an excellent point. Why is it all local? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you did something better or had some different way of doing it, and that way you don't have to, you know always go back to what your label says in front of your bottle. Like you can actually branch out and try different things, and maybe it will have a better outcome on what the product is. Yeah, help your distillery go from there. But it it seems like everyone wants to focus on that or have their niche little marketing ploy out there for everybody. And my wife who used to work in marketing for distilleries, it was Mm. always very interesting how you think, why does maker's mark need to keep marketing? You know, like they, don't they got it? Like at this point, like, I mean, and a lot of the Scotch distilleries don't really market and you'll have conversations. I'm sure you've had these conversations (laughs) like just send our distillers out in the public and they can sell the whiskey. I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, I don't know if like my job as a brand ambassador is necessary for all brands, but kind of think all right if we step back and really look about who's buying our product do we need to be on social media every day like do we need to be constantly out there spending millions of dollars do you i don't know and i'm not yeah saying you're a youngster or anything do you remember when pabst revived yeah yeah. okay i had a conversation with the guy who was doing their marketing Mm. and he sounded almost fearful because he's like i don't want to do anything right i don't want to i don't want to screw it up right and they like they they had internal conversations where they decided not to do anything, because it's kind of like I was I was just turning twenty one or going to college when that happened, and because I was like what two thousand five six maybe a little earlier, a little earlier. Was it earlier? Yeah. okay yeah um I remember like 
people in high school drinking it. I didn't really drink in high school, but um, I didn't at all, actually. I, was, I, I didn't either. Yeah. yeah. Well, my dad was the principal of my high school. so <sighs> all My I dad was, was a school teacher. Yeah. yeah. Mom yeah. was also a school teacher uh, at, my, at my high school. Whole family affair. Yeah. There um, you go. Explains so many <laughs> of my problems these days. <laughs> Affected me in adulthood. But yeah, I remember he became like the hipster. Yeah, it, was, it yeah. was viral before the internet. Right. Yeah. yeah. Everyone would bring it. I remember literally being in parties in college and having like the Razor flip phone. Like we didn't have Twitter. We oh, right. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Like, but you go to a party and there'd be like 12 six packs of PBR sitting there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it just yeah. kind of became that way. And I feel like Hylas kind of going through that renaissance as well of like. Yeah. That, I, you're the third person i've heard saying that okay here yeah in I, chicago yeah not not everywhere not in pa no okay. I, that was a, i'm like really I, I always wondered i started thinking this the other day actually because i've noticed how i don't buy as much craft beer as i used to i used to you know photograph design write about craft beer all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and like i the only beer in my fridge right now is high life oh and, see I, I, my my wife uh her family lives up in uh upstate new york we drink jenny cream a lot mm-hmm yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if it's like a backlash to us drinking craft beer over the last, you know, 15 to uh, 10, 12, 15 years. I'm like, oh, okay. Could be. I mean, I had a lot of it. There's a lot, a lot of good stuff, but there's a lot out there too to consume. That's kind of why I switched over to whiskey. I mean, I think I have a more love and passion for whiskey, but at the same time, I was overwhelmed by what was happening in the market with beer. Somebody um, just told me that I, there was, they gave me the name of this person I need to talk to because they were saying, the problem with craft beer is um, they're making beers that people don't want to drink more than one or two of. Right, that's been a problem. I, mean, I feel like for quite double a while. I, double IPA, the big like smoothie fruit things. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, but it's like a stunt beer. Yeah, you know. Well, isn't I think kind of whiskey's in a way going that way. If you talk, think about finishes, think about cask strength. Yeah, I mean, what what is the? I mean, people are. I, I was going to say fascination, but it's it's not that. It's like cask or death marketing worked yeah yeah and that's now it's i literally told someone tell me i was tasting them out on two of our single barrels that are at cast strength one was like 112 one another one was 115 which is really high for us and they're like ah yeah it was usually like the higher proof stuff i'm like holy god I'm man like, he's like i kind of start at like <laughs> one, he's like 120 is my like range i'm like there's not a ton of 120 whiskeys wow. out there wow I'm like, okay, well, okay. Uh, I'm like, well, don't try that one that's 80. Yeah, right. So, right. Oh, and they won't. No, they won't. Oh, my God. Or they're like, it tastes young or something. We need to rehabilitate 80 proof whiskeys. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, now I remember like judging, there was a 120 and up category at ACSA <laughs> the year I judged. And I'm like, at the end of it, my tongue felt like a slab of rubber. It was Absolutely. squeaking against my teeth. It's just <laughs> nasty. Yeah, and, and I mean, and that's nothing. They were good whiskeys. Yeah, but you're just talking about physical effects. Booker's is my favorite all-time whiskey. Guess what? I don't have more than an ounce and a half when I drink it. it <laughs> no, you make the mistake once, you're like, I don't need to do that oh again. Oh my god. Yeah, because you, you just lose all flavor after two ounces yeah. or so of that. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. I love I love cast strength whiskey, but I also love 80, 86 proof whiskey. Yes, There's great ninety proof whiskeys out there. Yes, there's something experienced in between. Like, I don't know what if you think burn is the biggest flavor profile you want to find. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I'll, I'll be tasting people out because we have lower proof whiskeys, mostly in like the 80 to 86 range, and people are like, it's good, but like I can see where it's going to be in like five years and where it's going to be like 110 proof, and it's like well, that's not the purpose of this distillery. Like, there should be like an ethos based upon every distillery what they're doing. Now there's a lot of them just like you said throwing cash strength out there yeah. and seeing if it sticks. Yeah, doing like and I see some distilleries, some of these smaller guys, almost becoming just single barrel distilleries because they can sell cash strength right. and put it out there and people want that and yeah, it, I think it also hides some inefficiencies in whiskey when it's brought down to a lower proof. But it's a it's an interesting conversation to see where these distilleries yes. go. Yes, what, what they want to what they want to be like. What is your authentic purpose? Well, I think we're, you know, you're, you're with that. I think you're coming back to the uh, earlier talk we had about, uh, you know, doing a different finish. Yeah. You know, I mean, because single barrel, you've got a new whiskey every time, mm-hmm. and people just go ape shit over that. I, yeah, we need to figure out a way we can just market eighty proof whiskey. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, what's the, what? What about that? You gotta have some off? kind of tingle on it. Something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I just the perfect proof. <laughs> Alliteration, yeah. Alliteration's always good. 
Yeah. No, I don't know, but uh, the one thing I learned in journal- journalism school. Oh yeah, it. always go for that. Yeah, yeah. It's that uh, what that like Viking saga thing. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I learned that, and uh, you should really learn how to write for the internet. Ugh. Thanks. Well, yeah, yeah. You should have taught me that, maybe. <laughs> As everything was crashing in two thousand eight when I graduated. Telling you, man, the best thing, best course I ever had in school was typing. Yeah. Right. Everything else, yeah, could have done without it. But even a, a speech class, learning how to public speak, I'd say it's the one really good one, too. I wish too. I'd have had that. Yeah, learning how yeah. to write a speech. I had a really good uh, professor in that, too. Yeah. Fun, fun guy. But, yeah, I guess I use it every day now. For my yeah. Job. Yeah. <laughs> Only get nervous making wedding speeches now. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Everybody does that. I know. You're like, wait, why am I nervous? I talk in public every day. <laughs> like, And you're talking to your, like, your best friends. Your friend. best friends. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to screw up. It's a tuxedo. I don't know. <laughs> the cummerbund's too tight. It's squeezing off the blood. Uh, well, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's 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 fascinating where whiskey is going. I mean, you've seen it so long. And what what became your fascination with making it your life, your job? Um, actually, it was my job. Um, we were. I mean, whiskey at Mall Advocate was a beer magazine, yeah. and beer wasn't doing that great in '96. So. John was already uh, deeply into whiskey, and he's like, nobody's doing a whiskey magazine. We're going to do a whiskey magazine. If you want to keep your job, learn to drink whiskey. I will learn to drink whiskey. And, I mean, you know, I joke about that, but um, that's literally why I started drinking whiskey. But, man, within a couple months, Mm. literally, again, I hit to see literally twice in the same minute, but I was hooked. Um, it was just such a fascinating new area of information that was linked to, but different Mm -hmm. from brewing and, and beer. Um, and I, oh my God, did I learn a lot in that first year? But, um, it's just the history of whiskey in general. I mean, how it relates to this country. Yeah. Well, actually I I came to process first. Right. Um, John let me do, um, I can't remember if it was three or four articles on like malting and, uh, uh, column versus pot still distillation mm. and you know just the the basic blocks of it and uh you know just got a chance to talk to people that actually knew what they were doing and yeah uh, that was great huh where uh what was the first whiskeys you were trying was it American? bourbons okay yeah yeah i mean uh john was well i shouldn't say that John was feeding me all kinds of stuff, right. like like giving me every time I went up to the house, he'd have new sample bottles for mm. me to try different whiskeys um, because I was trying to get past that. Oh my God, that hurts, <laughs> you know that phase. And um, and I, you know, I and I said it in both books. I, it's the best advice I ever got on drinking with drink drink it every day, mm-hmm. and you'll get past that pretty quick. Do you think that's how you developed the palate for it? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, because once you get once you get your Essentially, once you get the paid receptors on your tongue, yeah. you used to be in hit with with higher levels of alcohol. You are tasting the flavor, you mm-hmm. are smelling the flavor, but those pain receptors are screaming so loud your brain can't hear. That's I mean that's literally what happens. By the time you get used to it or have it, either I'm not sure how this works because I'm not a, a what a biophysicist. I don't know what the hell. It is. Either you're turning down the volume on the scream or. You're tuning it out. I don't mm-hmm. know how it is, how it works. I'm sure my wife could tell me. She's she's the biologist, but um, then you you know all of a sudden you, that that stuff's there. It was there all the time. You yeah. just just couldn't sense it. I mean, it was for me. It was uh, um, Delmore. I was you know I'm I'm just like okay, here we go. I'm gonna kick myself in the face again. And I put it in my mouth, and all of a sudden I was tasting fudge. I'm like, whoa, whoa, mm. where the where the hell did that come mm. from? And I mean that was my. That was my eureka moment. Right. But, I mean, as far as bourbon was the first thing I really got hyped up because Kentucky was so relatively close. So I went down there and just, I think I visited five distilleries in two days. And uh, and the first one was Wild Turkey. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy just took me around and showed me every day. And, you know, we were dipping fingers and right. all that shit. Um it was great. That's like a whole it. tourism experience down there too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of those places, I mean, they weren't doing tours. And, you know, when they took me through, I'm like, yeah, I see why. What the right. hell, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now that everything's all bright and shiny down there. I got to tell you, the first time I went to Wild Turkey, I was afraid the damn place was going to fall apart while we were in it. <laughs> it was so rickety. Because, no, I mean, 
you know, this was in 96, 97. Mm-hmm. Sales were still declining. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I just had this realization about three years ago. It was a really stupid move to get into whiskey writing when I did, because it was not a good time. I was going to say, it's, it's fascinating how you say that beer's yeah. not doing, I've heard you tell this story before, I'm like, beer's not doing well, so we switched to whiskey. I'm like, yeah. was whiskey doing well? <laughs> well, see, they had money to buy ads. That was the, uh, yeah. Okay. Whereas craft beer was suddenly like, uh, we don't have money for anything. Right, right, right. And, you know, whiskey was still, they weren't advertising on TV. Mm-hmm. There was no internet. So about the only thing they could do was print ads, mm. and they're like, we will buy ad space in your magazine if wow. you start writing about whiskey. Like, well, we will then. I should have had a Zima magazine. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a weird thing. The original RTD. Yeah. <laughs> and Just, they keep trying to bring it back, and everybody's like, oh, wow, Zima, and then they wander away. I was trying to talk to like a 24-year-old about Zima the other day. They're just like glass-eyed, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You idiot. White Claw. It's totally right over their head. And that's all these people are like, oh, White Claw is really Zima. I'm like, no, it's actually not. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, the clothes you're wearing right now, back in the 90s, people wore those clothes and they drank Zima. Like, it's cool. Trust me. Culture always comes back around. Yeah, it does. Oh. Keep that stuff. Uh, it's made, I wonder what... I mean, I, I went to Jim Beam as a kid, and I don't remember too much of it other than we fished in the ponds out there and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah, okay. But I was just out there on Saturday. Oh! And I was like, it, it, it feels like a presence, that you're like a familiar presence to you, but it also looks completely different. Wow, it yeah. sure I does. I mean, for the, for the better, too. Like, yeah, oh, absolutely. All of them are for the better. Right, yeah. the, the restaurant's world-class, like great tasting stuff, and... Even the bartenders are super friendly and knowledgeable. They had like an OGD highball, and they're like, "I mean, for God's sake, there's bartenders." Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, it's like real ones. They're like, OGD highball <laughs> off the menu, industry. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Uh, am I just wearing a bullseye? <laughs> but it's cool. Like, it's it's amazing to see how these distilleries have changed and people investing mil- I mean, what a billion dollars Buffalo Trace is doing into their tourism experience. So really, I think so. Wow. Yeah, I think well. Was- Fireball. Right. Fireball pays for everything. Uh, that's still a thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I keep thinking it's going away, and they're like, no, nope, sales are still rising. I guess like probably like every football season, it's good for tailgating and shots of that. Uh, hell, we have... Yeah. Okay, we can't sell liquor in any place but the state stores in Pennsylvania, and yet there's Fireball in the gas station. What? Yeah, it's essentially like an uncarbonated malt beverage, but it's got Fireball flavoring in it. It's got the exact same... Southern Comfort's doing it too. Oh, yeah, and it's like they've got the they've got like five packs of minis. Yeah, and they've got um, what five hundred milliliter hip flasks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know again like like get around the laws. Well, no, it's that one percent thing. They oh, don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, they too. don't even know what the no. hell Fireball is to begin with. No, like the the it's Fireball, the cinnamon whiskey. Like eh, it's technically not a whiskey. Yeah. It's a liqueur. Well, I mean, I remember talking to. Um, what was he, the global brand manager for Crown Royal, mm-hmm. I think? And I said, you know, I think some of my friends don't even realize that that Crown is Canadian whiskey. And he starts laughing. I'm like, what? He says, in focus groups, 40% of our drinkers don't know it's Canadian whiskey. <laughs> okay, it's Crown Royal. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, exactly. They're Crown Royal. Right. They don't need to have Can- no. Canadian whiskey is just uh, something on the label. Yeah look past like, yeah it's like, crown royal like it, well it's the bag and like what you're just talking about yeah you know like, yeah. it's just that brand doesn't matter if that's yeah. on the on their label or not right i think it, that's the one thing with some of these smaller brands from like up your label a little bit up oh, to, yeah, yeah. Like, it's the whole like uh family down home like really kitschy handmade glass the bottle thing like that was cool five years ago, ten years ago. Now it's like make it sleek, make it make it more modern, make it something that's going to yeah, jump did. out in the still um, on the shelves because you're competing for space every single every day. day. Yeah, not not just in the off premise, but also in the on premise. Oh now, yeah, which obviously now you can't go to like an average size city without a good cocktail bar. I mean, I I keep thinking about this how when well back in the nineties, yeah, you know, you go to a bar uh, and there'd be. Three to five whiskeys mm-hmm. and twenty flavored vodkas, and now it's—I mean—it's damn near reversed. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. And, the, and as the mezcal section gets bigger, oh, yeah. the tequila section gets bigger. Which I never thought would happen. No. Yeah. Never. I was doing the, at a whiskey bar two weeks ago, I was doing like a mezcal, like essentially class with the bartender. He's like, hey, we want to try this or that. Ah! I think he was a, a part-time rep for one of them, but okay. he, but you knew so much about the whole process, yeah, of agave, and so we're just like going in depth, like we're here to drink whiskey and cocktails, wow. but like we started off with four or five different samples of mezcal and had a little education in that, but it's nice. like, yeah, it's maybe it's the next thing that will take over that bar space, but yeah, it's definitely a new world out there. Maybe it'll be the uh, Australian mezcal. <laughs> Star Wars will get right on that. I'll send our head, head distiller some notes. Have him go search for that agave. <laughs> he kind of lives out in the middle of nowhere. Find this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> See what you can do with this. Oh. Well, Lou, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Okay. Um, that, wow, that was a fast hour. Well, that was fun. I just looked at the time. Is it really an hour? Yeah, hour and five minutes. <laughs> Didn't even realize it. I'm like, oh, I should uh, maybe go sell some whiskey of my own before we do some a bunch of world whiskey events this evening. Yeah. But I'm glad we finally got to do this. Yeah, yeah. It only took two years. Two years, you know, pandemics, whatever. Yeah. Next time I'll find a new brewery to host at and hang out there. There and, we go. Yeah, we'll see if anybody else will take me. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, anybody out there. <laughs> we don't want to walk down my windy sparrel or stairwell that's, uh, you know. Now we got to find a, find an industry space. Yeah, industry space indeed. We used to record at Fountainhead actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, until they shut down. Yeah, yeah. not so nice. Spent the summer recording on the roof deck during the pandemic. <sighs> nice. Yeah, so oh, wow. the sounds of Chicago in the background. Yeah. Then bar starting to open on, on, on every Friday afternoon. So it was a good time, good space. Yeah. But we'll find a new one eventually. Yeah. Well, enjoy the rest of your time in Chicago. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Always good to be here. Absolutely. And uh, you know what? I think we'll drink some whiskey this week, probably. More than likely. Awesome. Looking man. forward to it. Um, anything else to promote? No, just the book. Please, God, buy the book because, you know, I didn't go on my tour. Amazon, the easiest way to find Amazon's it? Amazon's the really easy way to find cool. it. We'll uh, both- if you want to buy it directly from me, it's on my Twitter feed. Right. I'm at Lou Bryson. We'll put both links um, in the podcast bio, so cool. people can connect that way. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks again. All right. Yeah. All right. Good time. Cheers, guys.